This program is brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U at Stanford University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu. Up next from Ashoka, Transparency International's founder, Peter Eigen, talks about how citizens can work with businesses, governments, and each other to voice people's interest and change the world. From the Conversations Network's Social Innovation Channel. Hi, this is Elena Connor. And I'm Eric Nee. We are your hosts on Social Innovation Conversations. Today we're excited to bring you a presentation from Ashoka's Social Entrepreneurship Series. In this series, you will meet six eminent global social entrepreneurs who are the founding members of Ashoka's Global Academy as they share their insights, strategies, and vision for change. Recognizing the power of individual innovation and social change, Bill Drayton founded Ashoka in 1981. Ashoka identifies and invests in extraordinary individuals with unprecedented ideas for change in their communities, supporting them, their ideas, and institutions through all phases of their careers. For more information or to get involved, visit www.ashoka.org. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and if you'd like us to produce new and even more exciting programs in the future, we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. Thank you, Limelight, for your support of the Conversations Network. And now, here's our presentation from Ashoka's Social Entrepreneurship Series. An explosion in innovation has created a global economy that has benefited millions of people. But many others have suffered, with no governance structure in place to protect the public good. Global governance right now is uh, tilted towards the interests of the powerful and rich. And uh, therefore, a way has to be found to give a voice to the billions and billions of people who live without proper resources. Peter Eigen is the founder of Transparency International, a global organization that has successfully strengthened global governance in the area of corruption. In this program, he explains how a powerful civil society can help build an enabling environment in which global governance can flourish. It is uh, amazing how important civil society organizations have been in the changes which occurred in the world during the last 15, 20 years. He describes how members of civil society can work together and in partnership with the business community, governments, and academia to create a better world for everyone. Uh, every group of people, every group of institutions has... Uh, what I would call governance. They have a way in which uh, decisions are taken, in which um, conflicts are resolved between different ideas. So uh, there can be good governance somewhere, there can be bad governance somewhere. There can be responsive democratic governance, there can be dictatorial governance. So governance as such uh, has no positive or negative connotation. It simply describes that in a certain situation there is a structure which uh, uh, decides which way to go. And the new phenomenon which we 
uh, are now trying to tackle with is a globalized economy. Uh, that globalization has uh, not been designed by anybody, it has sort of grown on us, uh, partly as a result of uh, new technologies. So it is a phenomenon which is here. And the question is, what kind of governance do you have for that new phenomenon? And um, there the problem is that the traditional governments, uh, the state governments uh, that exist in these 200 countries we have, um, has not been able to transform itself in a way that it can deal with the new issues which uh, in a globalized economy uh, arise. So how do you deal with a company, for instance, which operates in 10 different countries and therefore internally is able to shift values around, uh, shift uh, um, uh, production strategies from one country to the other depending on what the social legislation is, uh, what the labor laws are, what the role of labor unions are in various countries, uh, what the taxation system is, uh, all things which are part of traditional governance within these states. And um, companies are able to avoid this to a very large extent. And we see this very much in, uh, in the flow of international capital, for instance. There's very little um, regulation. Therefore, billions and billions of dollars uh, can flow around the globe uh, within seconds. And uh, there is no proper governance for this, except in the boardrooms of some of the companies uh, that uh, take the decisions on this. And therefore, we believe that the global public good of international justice, of international distribution of power and of wealth, the global public good of sustainable development, of um, protecting the climate, protecting the environment, that this global public good is not properly taken care of so because of these uh, holes in global governance. Basically, there's nothing wrong with multinational corporations. They have uh, developed uh, tremendous resources and uh, uh, tremendous uh, benefits for, for mankind. And therefore, uh, it is uh, wrong to condemn them in a simplistic way. But uh, they have to operate in an enabling environment in which it is possible for them to survive without losing business to competitors that are less conscious, that are less socially responsible. Let me give you an example. If you have a company which is uh, in charge of uh, garbage disposal in a country, and uh, in that country it is allowed to pour poisonous waste uh, simply into a river or into the, into the valleys and into the fields uh, of, of the landscape. And uh, you do not want to do this because you are socially responsible, but your competitors simply collect the garbage and pour it into the, into the river. It will take only a few months and you will be bankrupt because uh, they can do it much more cheaply than you can. Therefore, what is needed is an enabling environment which um, makes it certain, which regulates basically what is allowed for companies, for all companies. That uh, correction, that regulation is simply necessary and companies want it. Companies want their competitors to be regulated so that they all can operate on a level playing field. And in the global market, governance is too weak to establish this. This is something which one cannot leave to the management of these companies themselves because they are committed to make profits. The final 
bottom line is a shareholder value. And if that doesn't work out, the uh, capital markets of the world are very cruel, very quick to punish even wonderful companies uh, and, and uh, drive them into bankruptcy. And therefore, we need another actor to come in. And, uh, and as that we have seen in the area of, of corruption. The governments were unable to deal with it. Companies were unable to deal with it because of a prisoner's dilemma in which they find themselves. And so who could come in to create an, an enabling environment within which a company can do well while it is doing good? And that actor is a powerful civil society with their broad mandate, with their broad interest, uh, and their broad rooting in the people all over the world. And I feel that this is high time that we achieve this. If these changes don't happen, our globe is not going to continue to exist in spite of all the wonderful technological uh, achievements which uh, globalization has brought. When I talk about a civil society organization, I mean those uh, groups of people, those organizations that um, try to deal with uh, the public interest um, without being part of the government structure uh, and without being part of uh, the commercial sector, the private um, profit-making sector. So civil society organizations are a rather spontaneous uh, phenomenon which uh, very often grows in areas where legitimate government uh, is not doing its job and where people have the feeling that uh, the system does not respond to their needs. So it is a very fluid term and it definitely uh, does not imply that every organization which is part of uh, this group uh, of civil society organizations is good, is doing the right thing. They are terrible civil society organizations. I mean, the, the National, National Rifle Association is a, a civil society organization, you know, the Ku Klux Klan. So um, uh, it does not imply that this is a panacea to all the ills of the world. It is uh, amazing how important civil society organizations have been in the changes which occurred in the world during the last uh, 15, 20 years. The end of the Cold War was in many parts of the world driven by uh, civil society organizations. Uh, after the war came down in Berlin, after the end of the Cold War, um, this became even more obvious. Um, we have uh, seen uh, how the constructive participation of civil society uh, became a major factor in the various uh, global conferences which the United Nations has uh, convened um, during the last couple of years. So it is now self-evident um, that at a large conference like this, a, a very important space will be given to civil society to raise its voice. The impact of um, civil society on the World Bank, for instance, was quite stunning. And I was able to observe this firsthand, that um, the World Bank, for instance, has recognized that their own operations are much more effective, are much more focused on the real needs of the people in particular uh, in their poverty uh, alleviation strategies, if they invite civil society to the table. And the same thing can be said about quite a number of other uh, institutions. Uh, I therefore put a lot of hope to the global compact of 
Kofi Annan because uh, these are 10 principles which are now being uh, defined by uh, international conventions, by international institutions. Uh, this is very promising, but it can go wrong. You know, it can be just a, a farce where the companies simply use um, the public relations benefits we, which they get from this association and they don't really change their their conduct and then civil society has to focus on a different tool and then they will have to abort this. I mean, we, for instance, as Transparency International, we are willing um, any day to leave this global compact as soon as we notice that this is just a cosmetic exercise, you know, which is being misused by the PR departments of the 1,700 companies which are participating in this. Uh, all of this has created a mode within which uh, organizations like Transparency International could really uh, have a tremendous impact, supported, of course, to the new uh, information technology, which has given into the hands of the people a weapon for change, which is uh, uh, incredibly um, effective and powerful. Now, um, where will this lead to? Will this lead to a uh, more structured, more um, institutionalized role of civil society as partner of the other actors of uh, global governance. Global governance has to be more responsive to the um, interests of the poor. Global governance right now is uh, tilted towards the interests of the powerful and rich and uh, therefore a way has to be found to give a voice to the billions and billions of people who live without proper resources. The way one can do this is only by giving a stronger say to the representatives of these people. And as long as, for instance, their governments are themselves corrupt and don't have compassion for their own poor people, as we very often see by uh, the tremendous wealth which is amassed by uh, uh, the governments and, and politicians in very poor countries, um, there has to be some other way, and uh, I believe that this is the area where uh, civil society organizations have a tremendous responsibility. Well, civil society organizations have to, of course, live up to this new responsibility. They have to, in my opinion, um, become much more competent to uh, understand the complexities of the area in which they want to take on responsibilities. Uh, this is why, for instance, I believe strongly our universities have to uh, help to train and educate more leaders for civil society. And uh, research and so on has to focus more on the questions which are posed by civil society. But civil society leaders themselves have to be much more open to interact uh, and, and formulate questions, for instance, uh, to academia to get their support. Civil society also has to be much more open to cooperate with um, the traditional actors of governance. So they uh, should not uh, be too one-sided in, for instance, uh, condemning uh, the World Bank, condemning major multinational corporations. They should rather try to understand their interests and their strengths and cater to these interests and strengths in order to, uh, to form uh, compromises uh, which will lead to, to change. Civil society organizations, of course, have to also work on their own 
integrity and their own transparency. They have to work on their own decision-making processes which have to be uh, participatory and have to be open. So in a way, uh, civil society organizations in the final analysis have to stand the uh, competition which they have for ideas and for interests and have to make it in a market of good ideas. I mean, this is eventually the source of their legitimacy. And, uh, and in that sense, uh, basically, it's the rule of the market which also uh, decides whether a certain civil society organization with its particular ideas and its approaches will, will uh, have impact or not. Civil society organizations will have to work through many different um, uh, forms of uh, promoting their interests. Uh, there will be situations where uh, very powerful demonstrations, possibly even lawlessness, will be necessary to allow change. You know, as we have seen, say, in South Africa, where apartheid would never have gone away if they all would have observed the laws in that, in that part of the world. But um, the most promising uh, approach of civil society organizations is to try to discover the common interest between the traditional actors of governance, between uh, private companies. Uh, for instance, I'm convinced that many companies nowadays believe that there's poverty in many parts of the world and the destruction of the environment, the destruction um, of the uh, natural base for our uh, survival, that this is something which is simply not uh, sustainable. The same thing is true in uh, the public sector. There are many pockets of goodwill and of good enlightened uh, self-interests which civil society organizations have to discover and have to mobilize uh, in order to promote their own, their own causes. Uh, very often a relatively poor and um, poorly endowed but extremely energetic and idealistic group of people can uh, move a giant, you know, in uh, a big multinational corporation to, to change its policies. So the important thing is networking, uh, building alliances, uh, influencing, convincing powerful leaders. It will, of course, be very difficult to assert this role of civil society. But um, I think we have shown in the area of fighting corruption that uh, what seemed to be totally impossible only about six years ago, seven years ago, where every company said we have to bribe, otherwise we cannot uh, persist you know, in, the, in the international marketplace. We found an area of common interest, we found an area of uh, building coalitions with them to change from a world where uh, the leaders of big business, uh, where politicians, where uh, associations of in various sectors and so on defended as extremely normal and and uh, self-evident the need to bribe in the international market uh, to move from that situation to a situation where the same uh, leaders now say we have to fight corruption together and now everybody else is to, to stop bribing and so on is, is uh, nearly miraculous you know and if this is possible in that particular field, it should also be possible in other areas where it is uh, perhaps even more evident that uh, a joint change of approaches is necessary, like 
uh, like exploitation of uh, slave labor or children or exploitation of women and so on. But it is not one uh, uh, an approach which is based on harmony and complete voluntarism. It has to create ground rules which are uh, powerful and uh, and uh, binding. And uh, this is what we what we have to aim for. I have to say that there is a very close correlation between corruption and the uh, violation of these other basic standards. You know, we have found out, for instance, that there is a very strong correlation between environmental destruction in various parts of the world and uh, corruption. You destroy the environment by building the wrong uh, infrastructure project, whether it's power dams, whether it's roads, whether it's pipelines, uh, whether it's ports and so on. Very often driven by the capacity to uh, take kickbacks and, uh, and make um, uh, corruption worth your while. The same thing is true, for instance, in the area of human rights violations, where I am very cl closely related to an effort of Mary Robinson, um, which she calls the Ethical Globalization Initiative, where she tries to use the existing structure of uh, standards of human rights protection which are embedded in many, many conventions which the international community has signed and ratified as a moral framework for shaping governance of a globalized economy in a way that it is more fair, that it is more humane, that it is more sustainable. And the same thing can be said about quite a number of other areas. It is quite clear that uh, in, say, the role of labor unions uh, worldwide to fight for better standards of living of their members, um, that corruption plays a huge part in undermining um, basic labor standards and so on. So in many, many areas, uh, corruption is a ugly sister of uh, the misbehavior of companies, of individuals, of institutions. So. Uh, this gives me the sense that, yes, not only is there a correlation between um, the area in which we were able to mobilize civil society, uh, but um, I feel that even in the absence of corruption in those areas, similar processes uh, could be very effective. In the field of fighting corruption, um, the civil society organizations in the countries in which we operate are um, very inventive in developing new tools, new instruments to fight corruption. They also have particular insights which we perhaps at the center do not have. For me it was very surprising for instance when I saw that our national chapter in Kenya felt that the attempt of the World Bank to work within the system in Kenya with President Moy, they felt that this way the World Bank had lost its own credibility by having been associated with um, leaders that uh, have been uh, exploiting the country. So um, uh, it is uh, very important to uh, mobilize the voice of civil society within the country because they may have a totally different perspective and this is um, an important issue when you have to try to create coherence in a movement like in, we have in, in Transparency International. Because uh, there you have to make sure that none of the chapters 
goes its own ways, interprets uh, corruption its own way, uh, breaks the law perhaps by violent demonstrations on the streets. So the distinction between what is innovation, what is sensitivity, what is uh, legitimate uh, positions uh, of local civil society organizations uh, and on the other hand uh, the sort of irrational uh, radicalism which is developed and which can be harmful to an overall movement that distinction uh, is a very difficult one uh, and and has again has to be mastered uh, with some good fortune uh, and with some skill I, I would say the independence and the perceived independence of civil society organizations and their leaders are absolutely uh, fundamental for their impact. Um, but um, how diverse the situations can be, I can perhaps illustrate by a few examples. At one point we accepted $10,000 from one particular company and two weeks later, we received from the same company a request to introduce them in a country in Africa where we had very good relationships and more or less uh, a guarantee that uh, this was a good company because they were supporting us. So we immediately returned the money they had given to us because they obviously gave this to us with totally wrong expectations. The Global Compact is for us another testing case. Every time we work, we go to New York, we work with these companies, we have obviously one leg already outside the global compact because uh, we are afraid that a number of the companies want to use this just as a cosmetic exercise without really changing their, uh, their behavior. A very similar example is again the World Economic Forum. Uh, a number of uh, non-governmental organizations are refusing to go there. They say this will simply give a uh, sort of semblance of legitimacy to this assembly of thousands of uh, decision makers from all over the world. Our argument is that this is a very good conference, with very good themes, with very powerful participations. We go in there with our message, with our conviction, and we have use this forum to tremendous benefit of the agenda uh, which we are moving right now. It is a continuous balancing act which uh, is never complete. There are certain ground rules. Uh, one is funding, of course, that you shouldn't become dependent on one particular source. Uh, we have a rule that we accept only uh, up to 10% of funding from one particular source. Um, it is also a structural question. You have to have a governance in your organization, which makes it quite uh, clear that they would not allow you to uh, be uh, the captive of one particular interest. Uh, therefore, we have in, the, in Transparency International uh, a very active membership which re-elects its board every year in their annual general membership meetings. Uh, they come from different parts of the world. Some of them are extremely uh, distrustful when it comes to people from the north, from rich countries. Uh, we have also included um, a very big um, advisory committee in our organization, which has 30 members, including uh, Oscar Arias, including uh, Obazanyu, including um, uh, Jimmy Carter. 
uh, including Richard von Weizsäcker. These are all personalities who would simply not uh, allow you to fall into the camp of one particular interest group. Uh, we also have uh, written down policies on uh, political neutrality of not only our central organization but also of our national chapters. Uh, there we have a system of uh, regular uh, re-accreditation uh, of uh, our national chapters. So if uh, we feel that one chapter becomes uh, too close to a government uh, or it becomes sort of a political opposition party in a given situation, then we may not re-accredit them. Building coalitions and uh, maintaining your independence with your own agenda is, um, in my opinion, the most important art of uh, leaders of civil society. Uh, very often it's also a question of luck, finding opportunities, of hitting uh, a given market at the right time. What can I advise? Just be very alert, have very good friends to discuss these things with, uh, listen to uncomfortable um, and critical voices from inside and outside the organization, and then make your own decision. Many companies uh, have understood that it's in their interest to keep a very good uh, dialogue with civil society organizations. But um, we also have seen that many companies see this very much as a public relations exercise. Therefore, very often they send uh, the head of the external relations department or the press department. This is not taken seriously by uh, good civil society activists. Uh, companies should um, participate in these uh, conversations, in this dialogue with people who have sufficient power to change the policy in the, in the company. And uh, therefore it's a very big mistake to look, say, at civil society organizations just as an obstacle or as a difficulty or as a challenge which one has to manage they should rather look at civil society organizations as um, very uh, important uh, partners um, in a, a common effort to help to define uh, sustainable policies. In general, I see um, a tremendous opening up and appreciation of uh, civil society organizations in the private sector. Uh, among the global compact companies, for instance, those the most enlightened that have suffered the most from big fights with uh, civil society organizations because they have learned their lesson and they have begun to seriously deal with this. Companies that have an important brand name are of course more vulnerable if uh, they are caught with uh, scandals in the area of corruption or in other areas. Uh, because uh, consumers clearly do not want to buy products of companies which are tainted. Uh, but even other companies are uh, subject to this kind of pressure. Uh, one way, for instance, of bringing companies that are not well known as a brand in the international marketplace um, to bring them in line with um, social responsibility is to strengthen the uh, effort to go up the supply chain uh, within branded companies.
So um, if, uh, for instance, one is able to make it quite clear that a big branded company is also responsible for um, the input it uses um, in its products, then um, this will uh, extend the leverage which, uh, which one has over, over that particular sector. In other cases, one may have to mainly rely on um, the power of conviction. You know, one has to deal with the leadership in, in companies, one has to deal with employees. We find it uh, is uh, very uh, powerful that uh, young people coming from universities and so on do not want to work with companies that have a bad policy and a bad reputation. Um, and then in general, uh, I think there is an enlightened self-interest in um, many companies to do the right thing, if only they knew what, what is the right thing. And uh, uh, therefore, publicity and uh, uh, awareness building is uh, uh, probably the most powerful tool which applies to everybody in the marketplace. Civil society organizations, uh, like any other organization, have to be uh, accountable to the outside world and um, uh, to its own members. That has, of course, various dimensions. One is a purely financial dimension. For instance, all of our national chapters have a system of financial accountability, which um, is not only um, giving us as uh, the central umbrella organization um, access to, uh, to this kind of information, but also to the world at large. But then there's also a question of how accountable a civil society organization is um, with respect to its policies and so on, to its members and to the community at large. Transparency International, uh, we are particularly interested in this, uh, since we are advising others to do this, uh, we have to uh, try to live up to this ourselves. Uh, therefore, we have uh, very strict uh, codes of conduct for the leadership of our central movement. We, have, um, uh, we recommend similar codes of conduct to all of our national chapters. We want these codes of conduct to be on the website. We want um, uh, to have um, independent ombudsmen or uh, other review uh, organizations if, uh, People feel that uh, somebody does not live up to the to the code of conduct. We have begun to put the minutes of our board discussions on the internet, and um, we are in in many ways as open as possible in order to make sure that uh, there is a general sense of transparency in our organization, which uh, makes also every leader every representative of our organization more accountable to the movement at large. Uh, this has to be structured differently in, in different contexts. Uh, so uh, uh, we do not say that every NGO should follow the same process uh, which we have. But uh, it should also be clear that if an NGO wants to be effective, uh, one has to have a degree of accountability uh, to the outside world uh, to make it quite certain that, for instance, um, they cannot be dismissed as uh, being the lackeys of foreign masters, you know, which used to be the, the language used by President Moy in Kenya when he wanted to dismiss, um, say, organizations like Amnesty International.
Um, so um, accountability is important as part of uh, the elements which together create the credibility and the impact of civil society organizations and distinguish them from um, uh, organizations like uh, companies that are mainly committed to the shareholder value uh, in their of their company or to governments which are mainly committed to their voters. Um, so in, in a way, if one wants to complement these other two actors, one has to have this kind of accountability to, uh, for full impact. I think civil society um, uh, is getting stronger worldwide. Uh, it is uh, moving at a different pace in different parts of the world. I mean, clearly the environmental movement in the United States, for instance, was far ahead of um, uh, the movement in many other parts of the world. Uh, in the meantime, there may even be a certain backlash against uh, civil society, which has been, in my opinion, um, uh, considered too much as a uh, panacea to all the evils of the world. One has to be aware of the fact that this is a very complex um, phenomenon which uh, will have its uh, drawbacks from time to time, uh, which will have uh, periods of uh, social rejection, uh, but it will also have uh, moments of triumph and advance and, and, uh, and victory you know, for, for the good. And, um, and that will move in different continents uh, at different paces. Uh, I have the feeling, in particular in Europe, um, civil society organizations are gaining in strength. Uh, they are catching up with the United States. They are moving into a number of fields which uh, are uh, different from the traditional um, campaigns for the protection of certain endangered species, you know, the, the typical sort of environmental uh, movements which we saw 30 years ago in the United States. One of the um, problems of uh, many civil society activists is that they simply don't have the time to really uh, research fully what they are doing. They basically operate on common sense and uh, follow their instincts and uh, go into battle very often not as well equipped as uh, some of the part of the uh, actors they are taking on in, in trying to organize change. Academia is very much interested in this new phenomenon. So many books have been written, very, very good books have been written uh, by uh, many professors all over the world. And uh, some people have begun to teach courses about civil society and uh, the leadership of civil society. In fact, uh, some institutes are wholly committed to this purpose, like the Hauser Center at uh, the Harvard Kennedy School, for instance. So I felt uh, for many years that this is uh, an area in which uh, real synergies could be developed and have uh, therefore invited uh, several years ago uh, Joe Stiglitz and George Soros and a number of professors here in Germany um, here in Berlin to a small brainstorming session in which we thought about the need of bringing these two sides together, the practitioners and uh, street fighters on the one hand, on the other hand, the thinkers and educators uh, who were willing to support them. We brought together about 40 um, leaders of large international 
civil society organizations in order to see what should be done in order to support them, in order to make their work more effective. And one of the main issues which they identified as having to be studied is how we can enlist more the participation of academia in more relevant, more pertinent um, support of the activists of civil society. I am uh, planning to create an institute uh, or a um, joint learning center, as one could call it, in which one uh, has a regular series of uh, workshops where a group of uh, academics and researchers and educators will meet uh, to deal with particular themes with a group of activists, like, uh, for instance, the legitimacy of the work of civil society organizations, or like the relationships between civil society organizations and parliaments and political parties, or the role of civil society organizations in various sectors of global governance, uh, like the environment, like human rights, uh, like labor conditions and so on. So I hope to have a series of meetings of this kind in which the demand on the one hand of support from civil society activists uh, will meet the supply of thinking and education which comes from universities. Because I feel that this is particularly missing in continental Europe. Uh, in the United States there is already um, uh, a number of uh, uh, organizations which are focusing on this, partly because uh, the experience of the United States with uh, NGOs is uh, somewhat more mature than uh, what we experience here in Europe, and therefore uh, I believe that this will help exactly to, to give this empowerment to civil society organizations that want to play that role as partner of the other actors of global governance and thereby help to create a, a more just world. Through this series, Ashoka hopes to inspire and spread awareness about social entrepreneurship and scalable solutions to global problems. The series is being used in the education arena, among businesses interested in corporate responsibility, by international development and civil society organizations, and by individuals seeking new careers and innovative ways to change the world. Ashoka would like to know what you think of this series. Please email your thoughts and ideas to ashokadvd at ashoka.org. Recognizing the power of individual innovation and social change, Bill Drayton founded Ashoka in 1981. Ashoka identifies and invests in extraordinary individuals with unprecedented ideas for change in their communities, supporting them, their ideas, and institutions through all phases of their careers. For more information or to get involved, visit www.ashoka.org. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And if you'd like us to produce new and even more exciting programs in the future, we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free.
Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. Thank you, Limelight, for your support of the Conversations Network. The post-production audio engineer for this program was Sheila Setharaman. Our website editor was Marguerite Rigoglioso. The series producer is Liz Evans. My name is Eric Nee, and I hope you'll join us next time for another program from the Ashoka Social Entrepreneurship Series. The preceding program was brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U and is copyrighted by the Board of Trustees of the Leland Stanford Junior University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu.